Look, it wasn't my idea anyway. You should have seen these guys. Complete amateurs. Biggest risk was I'd fall down laughing and hurt myself. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only show to know that you're not sated till you're quaded. <laughs> I am Jeb Lund, a pair of ragged teeth scattering across the floor of the French Quarter, and I'm pleased to be joined as ever by your co-host, fresh from burping a baby on a detainee, Sarah D. Bunting. Dancing is a way of life again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well. <laughs> And joining us is the other half of a dynamic duo with last week's guest and the only person I've co-written an article about gangster rap with in the New Republic. <laughs> Please welcome the founder of the Bad Books podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television, and a musician with beats so explosive they gotta classify him MC22, J.W. Friedman. <laughs> well, I'm pleased to meet you, Morty. My name is Jay. <laughs> Man, thank you for being here. Oh, no, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm ready to, uh, you know, inhabit the role of the Quaid City DJs. So let's do it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, Jay, we were talking off mic and you mentioned that you were game to tackle the 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 overall sonic experience of the denisons i feel like i gave you fair warning i feel like collision <laughs> probably gave you fair warning no god but, uh, I hope were so. you were you willing to pursue this uh, this this white whale of podcasting and uh, if so how did it go for you uh, i absolutely was but um my motivation and my follow through don't actually even out correctly on the scale because I tried really hard to make it through several different episodes, but um, I'd say I only got about maybe 12 or 15 minutes into any given one. I was listening to an older episode of yours, or the Postcards from the Edge episode, at oh. least. And I think like uh, Tara from Listen to Sassy, I I listened to some of the Anthony Fauci one and then a little bit of a James or sorry, Jim Brown episode. Um, which was shocking to say the least, but yeah, it's tough. It's a tough listen. Have you done celebrity podcasts before? Is that like, just like checking out what they're putting out on their own? Um, yeah, for sure. But no, nobody quite as prolific in the multimedia sphere as, as Dennis Quaid, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering, like, you know, having not, you know, there isn't like an artist where I'm like, I want to hear what their take is on like. I, I don't know, the Chalupa, you know, and I don't want to hear them riff. So I don't know what their idea of DIY podcasting is like. But from everybody who is a fan of that, like Tara and Sarah, say, like tackling the 90210 people, it just sounds like there's not any effort to uh, consider it like a craft. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. For sure. Like, I mean, this this just sounds like a regular at a dive bar that you go to, like hit record on a cassette boombox and just kind of, you know, <laughs> like decided to have some deep conversations with somebody else. It's really, he likes to prompt people to start monologuing and then jump in to cut them off, which is like very strange. And he always sounds really surprised when he's doing it, like when a dog wakes itself up by farting. <laughs> This is making it sound entertaining, and my 26 seconds of experience with the Denison suggests that it's really not. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, had, I had a bold plan to go through it pretty granularly, and we haven't, we haven't rounded into minute two. On, no. Uh, on, like, at least the raw audio of the Denisons. Jesus. Uh, this yeah. is what gets me, too, is that they have, like, producers who are apparently willing to sign on for this duty and sort of be the hosts and 
captain the workflow, but then they don't really have any idea what they're doing either. At least based on what I've heard from the tin can studio that is the Denison's HQ. I think that's a very accurate assessment. Like, I definitely listen to a lot of like old school wrestling podcasts with people who really don't understand how a podcast works. And generally they have a host to kind of rein them in. Whereas Dennis Quaid, it sounds like he's, you know, had quite a bit of whiskey and is just like doing his own thing. And it's uh, it's a little disturbing and it's not super fun to listen to. And every episode starts off with a really long overcompressed commercial for some other podcast that's mixed like a 90s new metal song. It's really uncomfortable to listen to. Don't like it. Yeah. Okay. So I'll run the mix on this by you before it goes live. And uh... just make sure we all sound loud. Yeah, just uh, like as long as you can be heard over any truck, like in the adjacent lane, that's fine. <laughs> All right, for this week, I have to confess, we watched, uh, well, I don't have to confess that we watched Undercover Blues. I have to confess that I, I thought that this, this was going to be like some sort of like colors adjacent sort of movie. Like, where, you know, maybe there was a, a, a savvy older crooked cop and like a callow rookie or who didn't really understand the street. So like, just, you know, I was like, you wanted to sign on for this. And I was like, oh man, does this guy just like, is he just at home watching every kind of nineties, the streets are a jungle. These people are taking it back movie. And I was in- immensely relieved that you weren't like into that. <laughs> and- well, yes, but also. <laughs> um, I uh, had no idea what to expect. This is one of the few movies of this era that HBO didn't have the rights to run 17 times a day a year after its release. So I had never seen it before, despite being a um, semi-professional Quaidologist. <laughs> the, the credits did not fill me with hope because there's like baby footprints and it's paint. And I was like, I, we almost got corked to death in our uh-huh. in our last topic so i like i really don't think i can take it and then they're at a wedding reception and there's what is dangerously close to zydeco and just based on the pants <laughs> through the crowd i was like oh my god why can't we get out of this city what is happening and then this occurred I mean, I I thought I did, and then I kept getting the Epcot version during this podcast repeatedly. It's like heartburn. It won't leave. But then I was so pleasantly surprised that they keep it moving. This is a quite tight 90 minutes. A bunch of pretty heavy acting hitters are in it. Fiona Shaw is in it. Richard Jenkins is in it. If a bit doesn't really hit it just keeps moving i don't think i need to watch it again but i was so pleasantly surprised that it was this like self-contained caper that had a beginning and an end and wasn't trying to make you think anything about manic pixie dream girls that yeah (laughs) i i really liked it i think my rating will probably be higher than it merits just because it's not wilder napalm but sometimes that's how that shit goes yeah well with that being said if especially if people have the wrong impression from the title we should do the plot summary here jeff blue dennis quaid and jane blue kathleen turner are in new orleans again and you stole this from me because dancing there is a way of life 
They have a newborn daughter and what looks like a propensity to unconvincingly gate crash. But it turns out that being brazenly themselves is all the cover they need. Turns out that they are ex-FBI, ex-CIA, deep cover agents on parental leave in the quarter. And Jeff's willingness to beat the hell out of a switchblade-wielding black criminal, Dave Chappelle, and a preposterously pan-ethnic street tough guy by way of quasi-leather daddy, Muerte, <laughs> played by Stanley Tucci, chewing through enough scenery to eat through a levee and make Harry Shearer complain about him to the Army Corps of Engineers for 15 years. <laughs> the stroller beatdown catches the eye of Detectives Sawyer and Halsey, played by Oba Babatunde as an overmatched straight man, and Larry Miller as a seersuckered lisping Cajun who sounds uncannily like Dabney Coleman selling bait magazine as Jerry Caesar in Dragnet. <laughs> Somehow... Halsey and Sawyer's only job is to tackle small-time crime to protect the tourists, but their tale and Muerte's quest for vengeance are all Jeff and Jay need for misdirection to complete a job for Uncle Sam for a sweet payday, taking down the brutally looped dialogue of Novacek, a murderously vampy former Eastern Bloc official and current arms dealer played by Fiona Shaw. Jane and Jeff glide through the plot, fizzing left and right like they're about to order an Asta Spumanti and introduce themselves as Charles, Nick and Nora Charles. The movie is nearly totally frictionless, and why anything happens almost doesn't matter, but everything turns out fizzy in the end, too. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Accurate. what I miss? Um, I mean, this, this was mentioned uh, in your last episode, but I think you would be definitely remiss not to mention the fact that the Stanley Tucci role in this feels very much like the, the blueprint prototype for Jesus from The Big Lebowski. Right down to the fact that there's flamenco guitar every time he says a line. And I know, you know, you were talking about Burn After Reading with Collision and the fact that the Coen brothers may be secret Quaid heads. And I think this movie is more proof of that theory. Uh, I found it very, very interesting. So, yeah, just wanted to call that out right now. I like it. That's this should be. I mean, maybe we should think about if this happens a couple more times, adding a segment like what did the Coen brothers steal from this? Like our overarching theory should be that the Coen brothers are not original. They're just like taking from Dennis Quaid in really selective ways. <laughs> and like, you know, it's the last place you'd look. Right. I mean, right. Yeah, I don't I don't know anyone that that is looking at undercover blues for, you know, uh, influences for the very popular art house movie that college stoners have posters of. So. Despite some uh, runners that didn't entirely work for me, like I really I don't need to see teeth knocked out this much. Like I know it's supposed to be a hilarious gag, but oof, like it, it just wasn't quite working for me. Jeb, you referred to this in uh, our Quaid in Full Slack channel as a happier flavor of so-so than you were anticipating. And <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like, it's not, it's not ambitious, ergo, it's not failing spectacularly at anything. Like, I, I think that some recent entries in the Quaid in Full canon have really been straining to be um, significant in their subgenres. And this is just like, what if Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner were an undercover couple who got in a lot of slapsticky fights? So they do. So it it's fine. And like some of the dialogue is a little... I don't know if Dennis Quaid is necessarily a fizzy guy. I don't know if he's necessarily cut out... Mm -hmm like right off the rack for this kind of film 
It's a stretch. Yeah. It's a stretch for sure. <laughs> but everybody else carries him and it's it's fine. Like he's not so there are some things coming down the line in future seasons that it's gonna be like, oh like um far from heaven. Like are, are you passing a kidney stone or is this acting? What's happening here? <laughs> but this at least it was close enough and it could avail itself of a certain Quaitiness, and I kind of liked that the dialogue sometimes anticipated my thoughts about cop and robber dialogue. Here's a brief clip from when they're, I don't know if apprehended is the right word, but once again, <laughs> they're at lunch, henchmen abounding. Don't make any sudden moves. Why not? Is there a bee on me? I don't see one. What's a sudden move? I, I never understood that. You know, I don't either. I think they watch too many cops. This is not Quaid's best work in this scene. <laughs> I've never understood is that. Is there a bee on me? Like, what? Why does this? Why does this Jimmy Stewart thing keep coming up? It's like twice <laughs> oh, in three gosh, episodes. You're right. <laughs> yeah. That also the uh, the other voice in that is uh, Ralph Danny from Withnail and I Brown as the uh, the henchman Leamington and like when I I was I, for the first bit. When I saw him, I was like, who is that? Who is it? And then when I was like, it's Danny, you know, I just had a complete geek moment because it's, you know, it's the guy from With Nail Nye. <laughs> well, and guys from um, the director's other movies, like, I don't know why the Gordy's Herbert dad Ross. from uh, Stand By Me, the spitting guy from Birdie, which I feel like I always make that reference and nobody else saw that movie, but here we all are together. He, <laughs> he keeps showing up. I love these light motifs in... Uh, Quaid oeuvre and he's one of them and then yeah. richard jenkins who like he comes on screen and the whole movie kind of changes tone and get like starts to work and then he leaves and it kind of falls apart again but <laughs> i don't know i i respect yeah. a movie that is like you know it's not trying to blow a ton of shit up it's not trying really to disguise where the stuntmen are it's not trying to be two and a half hours long. It just does what it needs to do. Here's our cutesy premise. Here's a cute baby. Have a nice day. This is definitely a movie that in some ways is kind of coasting on the charm of the stars. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, like when Kathleen Turner is taking the lead or when, you know, many of the other kind of character actors that we've talked about, like Stanley Tucci, when they're taking the lead, it really works. Um, when it's Quaid solo... I'm not sure how much I really dug it, but it's definitely, like you said, it's not groundbreaking. There's obviously not a lot of, you know, barriers that are trying to be smashed here or, or new ground being broken in any way. That's what groundbreaking means. Congratulations to me. But <laughs> I, I think it really is, it's, it's one of those kind of actor pieces that's very much kind of driven by the charm and it's trying very hard to be charming and i think most of the time it accomplishes it so it's not bad by any means it's also kind of aggressively mediocre though yeah that's true i wanted to ask you how first of all how long it had been since you'd seen it last and then how it how it has aged for you or is this just one of those movies that's like in your bone marrow and trying to issue a qualitative analysis is like beside the point. I I loved this movie when I was younger, um, very, very younger. But I don't think I've seen it in probably close to 20 years, if not more. Right. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, in retrospect, like 
I'm kind of hard on the things that I liked as a, as a child. Like when I go back and experience them, whether it's music or movies or whatever, I'm frequently just kind of, I'd say the, the refrain that I come back to over and over again is kids like dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I loved this as a kid. As an adult, I felt like it was kind of fluffy and almost not there. But I can definitely understand what it is I liked about it. Like, I was the weird 12-year-old who loved My Blue Heaven. Mm-hmm. And this falls, I feel like, right into that same category for sure. Where it's like, hey, it's actors I know saying kind of funny things in a charismatic way. <laughs> so, you know, it's definitely not as great as I remembered it. But, you know, neither is neither are marshmallows or, I don't know, colored cereal. So it is what it is. <laughs> Well, I think that pretty much covers it for us. So we should at least look at the contemporary reviews, which there are not many, which I, I would have expected slightly more from a, a Herbert Ross film, because mm. it's not like he was a nobody by this point or like that far on the downswing. But uh, there, there don't seem to be a, a lot available. But we do have Vincent Canby of the New York Times oh boy. saying, Undercover Blues turns out to seem a most genial surprise, a comic update of Cold War espionage movies that, because of the New Orleans location, has the enhanced charm of a stolen holiday. And he says that Turner and Quaid play very well together, uh, recalling Nick and Nora Charles, which is the theme in most of the reviews. His is the most enthusiastic. Ty Burr of E attenuates it a little bit better. He notes the Thin Man comps. He sings Quaid and Turner's praises at uh, pulling off that kind of Nick and Nora vibe through what he is disappointed is a blithe spin through thin characters and kind of nebulous purposes. He writes, Yet Quaid and Turner deftly walk a line between the self-possessed and the smug. The gag isn't only that they're so clever, agile, and capable that they don't even have to try, it's that they enjoy playing on the nerves of lesser mortals. At the same Mm. time, their unflappable affection for each other keeps them from seeming cruel. The movie's a dog, but you almost wish for a sequel, if only to do right by these two. I think Blythe is a great word to describe mm-hmm. this movie, actually. I'm 100% on board with that characterization. Yeah, I think that's right on. And then Jane Horwitz in the Washington Post was a little more negative. She says, it's kind of fun to watch them dance around on tiptoe instead of creating real characters, but one can't Oof, help wondering ouch. what the whole enterprise would have been like with a director who knew how to make them play against the material a little. And then later at the bottom, she clarifies, unlike Nick and Nora, the blues actually sweat on screen, but they never secrete a real emotion and they have nothing but scorn for everyone, good or bad, whom they meet. Add to this brittle lack of warmth director Herbert Ross's sense of timing, which despite his dance background is pretty flat footed. You can almost count it out. Snappy repartee between Jeff and Jane, followed by an action gambit, followed by a cozy love scene, interrupted by more action every three and a half minutes or so. No surprises. Ross is blessed in his leading man. Quaid can charm the gators out of a swamp. Turner, no slouch in the charm department, (laughs) lumbers through the action sequence, vaguely miscast. The script by Ian Abrams brims with overwritten cleverness. I don't think she enjoyed it as much. Mm. Yeah, wow. That was pretty harsh. I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, I also feel like she kind of got a big part of this backwards, but I'll get into that later. (laughs) I don't think it's Kathleen Turner's miscast here, though. Spoiler. No. Yeah, agree. <laughs> Although, I mean, against him, well, we, we can talk about their chemistry. Um, I did want to note that this guy also directed Steel Magnolias, which, <laughs> I mean, at le- leaving aside a lot of things with that, I think that when you look at his CV, this guy tends to like sort of daisy chain together performance set pieces and kind of let his actors do 
what they're going to do. I'm thinking of um, Sally Field ranting in the cemetery in Steel Magnolias. Mm. And it's like, it's not ineffective exactly, but he doesn't seem to have like the comment about his having been a dancer who I think broke the shit out of his ankle and had to find something else to do with his life. He has a strangely unintuitive way of assembling his movies that it it really is like that nobody's necessarily jumping each other's lines and certainly scenes are not like racked correctly I guess for lack of a better term I don't know it's it's interesting I'd have to sort of comb through the whole his whole resume but like he directed the original Footloose which also is kind oh. of just a string of videos which is frankly how i experienced it when it first came out was like <laughs> you know after a day of watching mtv like i got the gist right yeah absolutely i think there's kind of a an arrhythmic nature to to what he's doing yeah um much like the the guy that i consider to be the real star of this movie the unsung hero he's on screen for about 10 seconds when they're in a coffee shop wearing a giant trucker hat and snapping his fingers to some jazz at 10 in the morning <laughs> <laughs> but my guy was was like that was only on screen for about 20 seconds and he's the guy who roasts muerte about getting his ass beat with a baby stroller Mm -hmm. and orders a creme de menthe excuse me was it the cute little baby (laughs) my guy like that was the plate full of beignets yeah oh god i was they hit every new orleans they're like they hit the market they got the beignets i was expecting them to like have a next scene where they're trying to do like crackling dialogue by the uh artichoke hearts jars in the central grocery waiting on a muffaletta. <laughs> oh my god there was jambalaya like in the first five minutes mm-hmm. i have to say i've seen a lot of movies in new orleans but i think this is the first one that really captured the hell that is in bourbon street in real life so big ups uh- <laughs> Yeah, it's got the same number of teeth. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And just drunken tourists getting robbed. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Jay, uh, like you like the word Blythe and just over those three reviews, I think I I liked that second one uh, more, too, because I think they're they're wrong about who the better, uh, you know, zippier deliverer of lines is between Turner and and Quaid. But uh, Mm -hmm. also because like a lot of this vibe, at least in its weightlessness, was kind of like Oceans 2. You know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like it sort of doesn't matter as much that like they're not, you know, engaging with things and things are of no consequence to them because that's part of like the overall charm package. You want to see them glide on charm and looks and not be connected to things. And so like as much as I want to ding sometimes like Quaid, I mean, like his line deliveries could use some work on these things, but also some of it is just meant to be like just just shit eating like good charming shit eating when you know what's happening to someone mm-hmm. you don't like and that's that's where it clicks for me and that's where like the Blythe is like yeah okay that's just you're one cocktail in at all times fine it, yeah it's absolutely it's a smarmy movie it's a movie about like sarcastic people in polo shirts being kind of obnoxious and <laughs> it does a good job at that <laughs> yeah and you can i mean if you're the exhibitor it's like what was this a pg like you can run this like 15 times a day. People yeah. like air conditioning. Like it, it's fine. It's fine. It's got the poster that tries to trick you into thinking you're about to see three men and a baby, but you're not. Or look who's talking, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, look who's <laughs> look, fighting. It's a little kid in sunglasses. Come on in. Take a load off. <laughs> Eat yeah. some popcorn. 
So. There's a gun in the stroller. <laughs> oh, man. This is like a bad parenting manual, by the way. But that's, yeah. That's yeah, exploding getting a, getting baby a little doll. Too dark. Love it. Love it. I, I was like creeping up in my chair like when a like a, a woman in a Tom and Jerry cartoon sees Jerry on the floor, just like shrieking like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a secret compartment in the stroller <laughs> that contains what is apparently a loaded automatic pistol. <laughs> Yeah. Totally cool. Yeah, babies don't bounce around or anything. Like that, that thing's not <laughs> toppling over ever. Well, that's that's what happens when you don't go to the Quantico gymnastics course, I guess. You just can't put a gun in your stroller. If I had a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> all right, do we want to try to rate this bad boy? Yeah, all right, let's rate this. Let us rate this movie. We got a, a numerical rating, one to ten. Jay, you're our guest. Uh, how are you feeling about it? You know, I'm going to be kind of generous here because it it put me in a good mood. It's definitely not super deep or anything like that. But as far as kind of ambient entertainment goes, you can do a lot worse. So I'm going to, I'm going to say like a seven, just because I could imagine myself putting this on next week while I'm eating a pizza or something. So, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah? I am going to go with a six. I don't need to see it again, but I was so pleasantly surprised by what it was and also what it wasn't that uh it, it was it was an utterly pleasant viewing experience do i have nitpicks of course do i need to own this on physical media no i don't but it was it did exactly what it set out to do and now its business with me is concluded six <laughs> <laughs> well my for my rating i had like 6.5 or 7 like with a you know a little hyphen and a question mark and i feel like in talking about it i'm one over more toward jay here and i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the seven because i i think you know for the same reason he said like i could see myself streaming this like three or four more times if it had been you know if it was just a a one of those monsoon summers where we've just got like El Nino rains for two weeks. I could see myself taking the kid to see this in a theater if we still did that mm -hmm. multiple times to just fill out a day. And uh, and I think a lot of the shortcomings, like I was saying uh, just a, a few minutes ago, are, are ones that are at least like accord with the vibe of the movie. So like when Quaid is maybe, you know, not really showing a whole lot of dimensionality, he wasn't really being asked to. So... And even the Epcot New Orleansiness of it is <laughs> like it works for it and not against yeah. my nerves. So I was fine with it. Yeah, they get a good gag out of the cemetery. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, it is a story that's told from a tourist's eye view. So the fact that, that New Orleans is really presented as such a kind of touristy, everything you think it is destination really works with these characters for sure. Well, speaking of the characters, let's talk about Dennis. Let's talk about Quaid, Qua Quaid. What is the degree of Quaidiosity that you're experiencing here, Jay? And maybe you want to compare it against like historically perceived levels. And maybe that's changed with a mature eye. I mean, he is wearing pleats again. He is. He's <laughs> definitely wearing pleats. I mean, the thing is, is I'm not, I'm not super familiar with a ton of Quaid movies as Quaid movies. So I don't know how much I can rate him against what he's done in other movies. But as far as, you know, performing his role in this movie, I would say it's it's maybe a high six, low seven. One thing about him in this movie, at least, is that he's really not very likable. But I feel like that's kind of the function of the character. Um, his Vince McMahon hair is really off-putting. 
and, <laughs> and he frequently uh, sounds like Ronald Reagan, which was creeping me out. <gasps> he makes but, a couple of but, Trump faces, too. You'll see this in the visual aids if you follow us on Twitter, Quaid and Full Pod. There were a couple of, like, tight-lipped, smug grins that I was like, forget Reagan. This guy needs to play Donald J, because... Oh, yeah. Chills. I mean, I have... In my notes, the words rictus grin. (laughs) (laughs) That too. (laughs) But ultimately, I I thought, you know, other than like you mentioned earlier, there's some lines he stumbles over for sure. But I think as far as being like smarmy white guy, uh, he does a really good job of it. And like he and Kathleen Turner, I wouldn't say they necessarily have a romantic chemistry, but they do have kind of a comedic chemistry that I found really entertaining. I definitely didn't buy them as a couple, but as a comedy duo, I was on board. So, yeah. Yeah, that's about where I was with their chemistry, that it was like, there are certain directors that can get good, like, co-worker performances out of people, including David Fincher, weirdly. Anyway, I I did not buy them romantically either. I think that maybe the sound drop should probably make an appearance at this point in the proceedings because there are a few times where like he just has like a Sorkinian amount of shit to do in a given scene and is not not quite up to it so that it just blasts into foghorn leghorn territory somehow (laughs) here's a clip perhaps you'll agree well whatever just make it fast okay oh gotta go fbi you're under arrest you have the right to remain silent if you give up that right you may talk sing dance impersonate Elvis, or anything else you like you also have the right to an attorney if you're broke and can't afford an attorney tough shit i'll get in the car you suspected felon you wait 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 what am i being charged with that's for me to know when you find out sonny Wow. <laughs> wow, that is Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah. I, I, is he, like, locking him inside a micro-machine? I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's a new, totally tremendous new tradition series of micro-machines that really, doors are really open and close. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really was like those old FedEx commercials. And meanwhile, he also is doing some crazy, like, Jerry Lee Lewis holdover walking that indicates that tetanus has been contracted like it's there's just a lot going on meanwhile his scene partner is the always professional Saul Rubinek who's like whatever the check clear just don't hit my head on the car door during this take cokey yeah I mean to to get back to the uh, the cocaine issue it is worth mentioning too that uh, Dennis never stops moving in this movie like every time he's on camera even if he doesn't have a line his shoulders are bouncing around it's like can't stop moving can't stop moving yeah <laughs> if I stop moving I'm gonna crash so yeah that's worth noting too. yeah it's like the actor energy of like listen I want you to understand that at every time you're thumbing your own suspenders and going well because you're so satisfied but you can't do that gesture and so he's just doing everything else <laughs> and occasionally that gesture even though he is not wearing suspenders which is a choice yeah if you're gonna wear pleats like that come on just take the next step put the thumbs in the creases Dennis <laughs> oh sorry oh i didn't mean to like no, that I, sorry <laughs> i know i'm sorry that's my fault um I, I was i was talking about the pleats i swear yeah so, well yeah sure sure so, what was your number sarah did you have um 
Well, first of all, Jay, where was your, are you at a seven with this or? I'm at a seven. You're at yeah, a seven. I would say okay. I'd settle on a seven. I, I think that there are a couple of sort of er moments. And I think he was cast for the quadiness. Absolutely. But I think that he was not directed. He was not directed well. Or he was not restrained by his director. <laughs> or he, he was not directed, period. <laughs> yeah, not, was not given. That They're like, look, we hired this guy for a reason. And I, you know, just get the powder off of his upper lip and point the camera in his general direction. And we'll fix it in post. Narrator, they didn't. Just about everybody that stars or plays a, you know, relatively large role in this movie has the energy of like kids when a substitute teacher is in charge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to know where to put the number in these projects where like he's, he was clearly intended to be extremely quady and that's the point of his presence. And yet he's not quite quady enough or the quadiness is like (laughs) bouncing off the walls and it's not, it's not working. He's pretty quady though. So I too, I'm going to come in at a seven because there are definitely some wolfish grins. He takes his shirt off a couple times, not often enough. <laughs> He's like sitting in front of some like trade craft gizmo eating a cookie. Like, okay, <laughs> that <laughs> bunt nip level achieved fine. So actually <laughs> let me revise that to an eight. Oh, did either of you notice the 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 first scene where you see them in in I guess it's a hotel room, just hanging out? Uh, Kathleen Turner is wearing the top of a mm-hmm. set of pajamas, and Dennis Quaid is shirtless, wearing the bottom of uh-huh. the same pajama set. I found that really endearing. Yeah, I, me too. I miss that. That's great. Now I get well. Now I'm gonna watch it again. <laughs> uh, so my my rating was just honest to God seven, and then a little hyphen and gentleman Quaid. I'm not going to repeat anything that you guys already said, but uh, I, I felt like there was a high level of Quaid coming out of this and it was hampered by uh, our, our good friend. Uh, <laughs> but also it was it was hampered a little bit by, I think, like him, tr- his trying to do a, a more refined, high class self-satisfaction because he's supposed to be, you know, this sort of, you know, Nick Charles, vaguely Bondian, experienced, suave world traveler. And so some of that mutes more of the like, I think nakedly kind of vulpine Quaid, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> I think that's right. But like uh, you know, you know, as a like, if you're gonna do Quaid and Tweeds, this is good Quaid and Tweed. I think. I mean, it's not like a ten Quaid and Tweed. Uh, maybe we're gonna get to that. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of the '90s work. We're gonna figure that out for you at home. Uh, but yeah, it was good. So you're also going seven. Yeah. Pretty high scoring outing. For old DQ. Yeah. That's great. That's what happens when there's no Zydeco. It was near Zydeco. <laughs> it was... Oh, it came really close. This came dangerously close. There's that scene with the guy playing the accordion outside of the drugstore. And I was thinking, like, please don't go full Zydeco. And they didn't. So <laughs> Yeah, I wrote down the timestamp on that just in case I had to come back and pull it like the moment when it pitched over the edge. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty much always thinking, don't go full Zydeco. <laughs> I had one thought that would improve this movie a lot for me because I'm a nerd. Yeah. Um, is that it feels like there was a huge missed opportunity because Jane and Jeff's name is Blue. Mm-hmm. That's their last name. And they could have tied this into the Wild Wilder Napalm Equataverse if if Jeff would have mentioned his sister Vida. 
uh, from the previous yes. movie because then her name would be Vita Blue, right? Which would rule. <laughs> so anyway, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Um, Picture it yeah. if you will. Ah, don't get it's, up! I'll uh, fire yeah, we myself. Had, we could have had uh, Raleigh Fingers as a detective, and he could have kept the same mustache, mm-hmm. and it would have been fine. <laughs> It'd be like, that guy is definitely a cop in New Orleans. <laughs> He's the only guy who knows where all the good murders are and where the good muscles are. <laughs> He's your tour guide on the voodoo tour. Have fun. <laughs> all right. Well, I did. Uh, Same. Thank you very much for coming, Jay. I hope you did. Oh, I definitely did. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent choice, Jay. And where do you want people to check out your stuff? Uh, I don't even own a television.com is always a great start. We've kind of been on hiatus while well, I've been I've been down with the COVID, which was not fun, but we're ramping back up uh, and we'll be releasing some new episodes shortly. We just recorded a new episode for our Patreon subscribers, so you could check us out there too on Patreon. Just search for it. But yeah, I don't even own a television.com is where we'll have all the newest episodes posted as soon as they come back. Reading books is hard when you can't think straight, so. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I've heard well, that. I'm glad you're back. You sound a lot. I was like, I was terrified you were gonna, we were going to dial up and we we're going to hear you say hello like tom like tom waits getting out of bed in the morning <laughs> <laughs> that would have been last month i'm doing great now but yeah everybody at home don't fuck around with covid be very careful i was very careful and i still got it but it's not fun and you don't want it so there you go yeah you don't want to like you don't want your loved ones to have it you don't want your mom to sound like nick nolte <laughs> Next thing you know, you'll be recording a really awkward podcast with some guy singing at the beginning about the Renaissance. Oh <laughs> it's God. him, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> that's who it is. Yeah. Oh, that's who it is. <laughs> Which is just the most awkward song ever. Oh um, I can't imagine that Dennis edits himself. We <laughs> talked about how there's probably nobody editing it. But if you edited that yourself, you would die of shame. So... <laughs> Actors, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Next time on Quaid in Full, Flesh and Bone. In the meantime, throw your leather pants to the alligators and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Or get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Tie that getaway car to a lamppost and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. The comedy's over.